The National Museum of Contemporary Art, or IMST, in Athens, Greece, started its operation in 2000. With help from grants and funding, IMST was able to begin moving into a permanent museum space by 2015 and opened fully to the public in February of 2020. This museum is the first of its kind in Greece, as much of the museums and culture are focused more on ancient history or foreign artists. Curators Daphne Vitali, Tina Pandi, and Alina Ganiti are focused on the areas of painting, sculpture, and engraving, while Stamatis Skizakis curates photography and audiovisual works. Daphne Vitali, Eleni Ganiti, Tina Pandi, Stamatis Skizatis, welcome to the creative process. Thank you. Thank you. So we're in the National Museum of Contemporary Art, which is opening after a long restoration renovation project in this June. Please tell us it's been tell us about the gestation and the beginnings of the museum. Okay. So to, to summarize, the museum was founded in uh, two thousand. No, nineteen ninety-seven. Nineteen ninety-seven. But okay, two thousand started its operations. And initially, it made some uh, present some exhibitions here, the building before it was renovated, and then we had to leave the building in order to for the works to start. As I mentioned before, it's a, we had a, it was like a nomadic institution presenting exhibitions in different places and venues. So for we did exhibitions at the Athens School of Fine Art, an exhibition over there, at the Mega. Athens uh, Concert Hall, the Mega Musikis, at the Athens Music Conservatory, the Odeon, where there we had uh, let's say a more permanent place for some years, for around uh, seven years, until 2014. So. There we had a very specific exhibition uh, policy and uh, exhibition series that we presented. I think it's interesting that, as you mentioned, having all of these nomadic exhibitions that are taking it, going out to the public, is an interesting way of mm. building an audience and connecting outside of the museum, which can sometimes be quite walled off space, going into the mm. conservatory of music. It's yeah. been quite challenging yeah. and difficult at the mm. same time, you know. Uh, one of the major and maybe very interesting and most important exhibitions that we had throughout these years, it was in 2006, an exhibition called the Grand Promenade, which was in different exhibition venues, but also works outdoor in the public space, along this axis of the archaeological Grand Promenade that unified the archaeological venues sites of Athens. So that was definitely uh, attracted different audience, uh, Greek and international, as it was in such a central and you know, maybe also touristic location. It was Biennale size <laughs> yes. uh, exhibition, and it was really all over um, uh, the place. Let's say from the uh, Acropolis Museum, more or less, from the beginning of the uh, Dionysoropagito Street mm-hmm. until Gazi, the so through Plaka and along the Fisio, Ermu, yeah, all the... But also, as we pointed out before, this uh, nomadic operation of the museum defined, I think, to a great extent its character and its relationship with the audience. And the lack of uh, a permanent building also didn't allow us to present our permanent collection 
as a permanent one. So this is one of the particularities of the museum that uh, parts of that exhibitions and collections have been developed in parallel in somehow in a reciprocal relation. Uh, because up to now the collection has been presented only through temporary exhibition. There have been major ones such as Art of Politics, but, but also many works have been acquired through, the, through our exhibition policy. So these are two, two activities that are interrelated. very closely related. And also one of the particularities of the collection which is very rare, I think, for contemporary art museum, is that it started from zero, it started from scratch. Mm -hmm. So the museum had this, uh, let's say, luxury, had this privilege to build from the beginning its own collection policy, mainly by the founding director of the museum. Of course, this policy was built, Mrs. Anna Cafetzi, which was who was in the position from fourteen years? She was fourteen years, yeah, until two thousand and fourteen. It's interesting because she acquired works always with strategic notion of how this will be presented in as in the context of a permanent collection. Because the museum has a double scope in its collecting policy, as it is described in its founding law. It has to be international and national together. So it's, it's an international collection, but it also has to cover the gap of equivalent institution of contemporary art in Greece, which, although it has been a demand since the 60s, it was not realized not until 2000. There's a generation, there are more than one generation of artists who had no, not the, they did not have the possibility of being collected by a national institution, so they, there's no construction of a canon, no idea of a history, a of a narrative, no, 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 no. of how you know the national is connected to the international. Mm -hmm. And at the moment we have two, uh, 1,282 works and there is still a balance in the collection uh, and we are uh, you know, working on this I think quite successfully. Mm. Although we still don't have presented the permanent collection. Well, it's exciting though to be the first because there really wasn't that, as you say, and it's so important too for <coughs> young artists to see the to see Greek artists celebrated that way alongside that 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 parody. Because I can imagine it's not it's not nice if you're not traveling outside. You have to go elsewhere to see. We're all around in, in uh, mm -hmm. Athens. We're surrounded by great examples of ancient art, but this—that's intimidating for younger mm -hmm. artists not to feel see themselves reflected. Exactly. Yes. Maybe we can also uh, add to this that some maybe mention of some exhibitions and explain how mm -hmm. this happened. So a big exhibition in 2004, there was part of the, let's say, Cultural Olympiad, because there was the year of yeah. the Olympic Games in Athens. Uh, the title of the exhibition was Transcultures. So during that exhibition, and uh, the, we um, actually were not here at the time, but maybe at any was. So the museum acquired some important works through commissions to well known international artists. So that was a, a good nucleus of the collection. Mm -hmm. of, uh, and then we had different, also other 
policies, like we had a project room uh, for some years where we would commission artists, Greek and international, to produce a work for the museum and then it would stay at the museum's collection. That was another way of acquiring works. Okay, also through different acquisitions and donations, but the, the idea was that we would accept through donations only what we would buy. Okay, yeah. so there was this, let's say, uh, yeah, specific policy. Yes, so some of those works that you acquired in 2004. Okay, the... The, the catalog is not there, but it's uh, like it's worked by Bill Viola, Serena Sharp, Emily Zasir, Danai Stratu, Miroslav Balka, Gendel Gears, Mona Hatun. And the majority of these works will be exhibited in the permanent collection. There is a term that is used for the presentation of the collection, which is called the Museological Study. It's which had to be approved by the Council of Museums, etc. So most of <coughs> these works will be included, uh, yes, in the presentation of the yes. collection. And there was the, the same years, was it part of Transcultures? It was uh, just above uh, just the exhibition, it was, okay. uh, it was yes. concurrent. I, thought, I always thought that it was, Maybe uh, it was, it was uh, produced in the same way. Yes, but uh, a bigger installation by Janusz Kunelis that he created uh, on site. And of course, also for some of the works that we mentioned, the why the museum was being designed, the, the spaces, the architect was having in mind these big installations and how they could, you know, fit and exhibited and displayed in the museum. Yeah. So, yeah. could you discuss then the, the how you selected? You was there was also a competition, an architect, architectural competition, and how? Yes. Yes. There was an architectural competition. And uh, there were like uh, three, uh, the first prize, the second and the third. And then there was the first prize uh, chosen and um, th there was like three, the Stylianidis uh, office, which is SK, three SK, SK. And there were like two more collaborators with him. It was Kondozoglu and two other uh, offices. Uh, we can mm -hmm. send you this uh, details that you need to mm -hmm. add. The website as well. Eh? Yeah. There's a detailed timeline eh? of the of the architectural goals uh, mm -hmm. and the whole development of uh, the whole uh, renovation. The, the one facade state is ah, it's listed. Yeah. The the group facade is listed, so it could not be changed. Whereas the facade on the Calderones Avenue was really altered. And maybe this uh, caused some reactions. <laughs> <laughs> I think there were some people uh, disagreeing with that intervention in the building. It was a former brewery, though, as well. We didn't yes. discuss. So but also one of the landmarks, let's say, of the Greek modernist architecture. You have to yes. imagine that this building was twice the length that of the building that we see today. Oh, I see. Yes, and it, yes. it was almost 200 meters long. <laughs> so it, was, uh, it had this uh, horizontality, and this excessive yeah. horizontality. In the context of Athens, mm -hmm. at the time that it was built, it was like completely out of scale. Right. So it was uh, very characteristic. It was supposedly Athens' uh, first skyscraper, although it was lying down. <laughs> it was not built then, it was renovated. The building yeah. existed. Yeah, but the, the modernist uh, yeah. connection, because this was a, there was a 
There were many buildings actually, one next to the other. And what Zenetos did, the architect of the first, let's say, about whom the building is listed, actually connected everything into a single facade. And this facade allowed a unifying view of what was happening inside from the outside. So it was a spectacularization of the industrial production of the brewery. So what was inside the building was... Could be seen from the exterior. Yes, passers could see the workers working actually, and the machinery, uh, the beer machinery working, and it was like one of the things that many Athenians talk about. Mm. Uh, it's got like performance art as well. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Netos was like a very. Um, he was looking forward, a very visionary yeah. architect, uh, mm. and what he was thinking when he was doing this renovation was like how this building would maybe be used uh, otherwise when somehow its first function would uh, end. So he was uh, thinking about things like that, about how the building could be used yes. in other ways, this, think, which yeah. is really exciting and really interesting. And this, the form of the building was also very uh, closely connected with Zenetus' ideas about an architecture without limits, so mm-hmm. it had this uh, development, uh, this horizontal development, and yes, it's... Uh, the renovation, on the other hand, although it has been uh, like criticized for its aesthetics on the one side, yeah. uh, on the other hand, it's very functional. Mm-hmm. And the important point of, of the winning proposal yeah. uh, was that it actually created uh, one more floor in the building. Mm-hmm. So it uh, extended the exhibition space greatly more than uh, or any other proposal. Mm-hmm. It was a very interesting and it's also very functional in the way that uh, works can come inside from a loading bay and spread all over the exhibition floors directly without any problem. So it's, it's a very functional building in terms of... Uh, very contemporary. Very contemporary as well. <laughs> no, but it is important because there, there are some buildings, you know, they, are, they are beautiful, but they don't, they're not properly designed for what they're supposed to do, or they don't waste space. So no, this really is a very important. good, very practical renovation. And just going back to, and I like that the practicality and everything that's good is honoring the works of art because you are collecting, you need space for all these mm-hmm. things you're doing. And I, I wondered if you had, or going back to honoring Zanetus' design, thought of bringing artists in or even observing the work of curators to, to see their creative process live. <laughs> an idea. <laughs> I, I don't about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, sometimes it, it depends on what kind of um, artist you are. I think like it's exciting to watch maybe Jackson Pollock style. So we're talking about your collection. So which areas do each of you are curators for separate sections? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tina and I would say, let's say section of mostly paintings and 3D and uh, objects and sculptures, mm-hmm. installations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a new media and photography mm-hmm. and also the acting registrar of the museum. And I'm a documentation curator which is mainly with archives, right. art, artistic archives and, and researching whatever needs research yeah. <laughs> for lecture exhibitions. It's very interesting, uh, we're at this moment where, I don't know, curators are becoming honoured as, I don't know, do you ever consider yourself as artists? As you 
are working with you know, arranging exhibitions. Let's talk about your creative process. Okay. Mm-hmm. Through exhibitions? Yes. Uh, well, maybe then we can talk a little bit about the exhibition series we yes. had and how, which was somehow developed by the, uh, the first director, mm-hmm. Anna Capetzi. And then, so the idea was, as was mentioned before, to present the, the permanent collection and the works we were acquiring through thematic group shows. That was one idea. So, like the Portrait of Art, for example. Then other thematic group shows, of course. And then we had another series of uh, retrospectives of mainly Greek artists, historical historical artists. And then shows and let's say mid-career uh, yeah, of really. international artists, but not so much retrospectives of mm-hmm. international artists. And also, we also presenting uh, the work of younger artists in uh, mid-career uh, shows. Okay. And through survey shows. Through? Through two survey shows. Through present tense and... Uh, uh, oh, that is a group. I'm talking about... Are you talking uh, about solo? Okay. The solo. George Rivas, so different mid-career uh, artists that they did a sort of exhibition. And then, yes, we throughout these years, we had two big uh, group shows with uh, Greek artists, only Greek artists, in order to uh, really uh, see and somehow put together the artist creativity in Greece in the, in the last year. So the, the first exhibition, the present tense, somehow showcased the work of artists that already had, let's say, yeah, an activity, uh, creative activity in the last th- 10 years, maybe. Whether the second exhibition, which was called A New Young Generation. Fresh. <laughs> <laughs> a young generation of Greek artists that was translated from. Uh, it was um, mainly artists very, very young that were just starting to show their work, and it was more a bit the opposite than the previous one to show what's coming in the next decade instead of uh, documenting what was going on in the last decade somehow. Mm-hmm. But and for both exhibitions we did some open calls, so we received many portfolios, mm-hmm. many great artists, and we, yeah, that was a process, <laughs> creative, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, uh, and also quite demanding at the same mm-hmm. time because we, we had to go to, let's say for the second exhibition, the first exhibition was like five hundred, for the second it was like seven thousand, almost one thousand, almost one. Uh, portfolios. Oh, portfolios. Yeah, that's different. Not just works of art, yeah, portfolios. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 33-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-35-
commissioned or you're, it's taking shape? You have an idea where it's going, but you're, it's happening as you, when you say work with artists. So I didn't when you say work with artists, you're, uh, you've given them a theme sometimes. Uh, no, no, no. For the thematic group shows, and we, yes, we do give uh, the exhibition proposal, project, and the idea, and the framework, and the conceptual framework of the exhibition, and we work together either to find an existing work or to produce a new one, also depending on the budget of the exhibition. But for the solo shows, uh, we mostly concentrate on their research and their themes, and we try to identify what they also want to present in this specific exhibition, uh, in order to create a narrative for each um, you know, exhibition. Mm. I would say that one of the, let's say, most significant moments of uh, the museum exhibition history was also its institutional collaboration, collaboration with Documenta 14. Yes. So, in the context of this, let's say, uh, dual displacement and relocation, we presented uh, a large part of our collection in uh, Kassel at the Museum Fridericianum. Uh, as part of uh, Documenta 14 in an exhibition titled Adidoron. Adidoron is it's Greek work that it's mostly a religious term and it means counter -gift. a counter-gift, uh, a gift that's given back. And they in, the, in return of another gift. Yes, mm -hmm. and the, um, it, this was closely related with a curatorial idea that we had uh, that had to do with the linguistic term uh, Adidanio, which is mean the returning loan. Mm. It has to do with the wandering words, the words that come back to the language where they come from. I love this idea of the wandering words. Yes, yeah. it's uh, like the a linguistic journey. So mm. the idea for the title was developed uh, through this. Yes, the director at the time was who also prepared the museological study. That means the version of the collection that we that we will see in the next month. And Antidoron is a version of this. And the Antidoron was an adaptation of the museological study, a pre-installation of the permanent collection, as a part of this learning process that also Documenta defined uh, and its concept. Yeah, like learning that. from Greece. <laughs> yes, <laughs> learning from others. So for <laughs> us, presenting the collection in Castle was also a part of a learning process, a part of a way of pre-installing the collection, which was somehow... A rehearsal. A rehearsal, which was ah, somehow also nice. recontextualized ah. in relation to the, the new institutional framework, which was the collaboration of document and also the building that we presented. The collection was this historical building of the Museum Fritz Eriziano, which is considered as one of the first uh, European museums with function also as a library, etc. And so we're also yeah. maybe related to the idea of the museum because uh, uh, museum comes from muses mm -hmm. uh, who resided on the banks of uh, Elisos. Ah. So we are also on the back of Elisos, which is a river that doesn't. It exists, but it's submerged. So uh -huh. it's uh, it's an underground river at the moment. There, is, there are thoughts of uncovering it, uh -huh. but it's it Kaliroi, the street of the central uh -huh. entrance. Uh, it's, yeah. it's it's the, the it follows uh, the the path of uh, Isos. 
So it was a very interesting um, mutual relocation. But I wanted to go back to the creative process because mm-hmm. your question was about that and in relation to what Daphne said, there are different levels of creativity and there are limits to what can be the creative process because it always follows the type of the exhibition and or maybe of course a curatorial practice of each one but also the aim of the exhibition so sometimes we have to be more specific or be creative within the specific context of, of scientific uh, not regulations but the ontology you know we cannot create something the way we want mm-hmm. although sometimes we wish we, we could we have to stay close to what we be, we believe is uh, it's right. You mean you can't? Well, sometimes you imagine a sometimes. piece, and the artist only brings it here, and you think it can go here. Yes, but uh, you know we have to. No, no, I'm not really sure if I understand this, but uh, sometimes you have to, to maintain a balance and to maintain history. Sometimes you are uh, tempted to interpret something as something that it isn't there, but you have to stick to what it's what's the truth. And sometimes you are free and you are carried away by the artist in, in, in the collaboration. So it's, this is a differently, it's creative in a very different way. I'm Pearson Brown, a student at American University. I'm majoring in an interdisciplinary degree which combines communications, legal institutions, economics and government. In addition, I'm minoring in art history and pursuing an advanced leadership study certificate. With the creative process, I am an associate podcast producer focusing on curation, museum education, and sustainability. As someone who is hoping to enter the field of curating contemporary art, I have appreciated what the curators have to say about their creative process. Working with contemporary artists is unique in that the artists are still able to work with you and have input on how you exhibit their works. The museum's current exhibition, Visualizing Humanity, shows exactly how powerful this can be. By collaborating with artists to show the current reality, this exhibit speaks to the challenges the world is experiencing in the struggle to provide necessary human rights to all individuals. Using art to express these struggles allows viewers to better connect to issues that may seem distant to them, or, for others, all too real. The 62 artists that they have brought together for this project have created something important and vital for both creative expression and progress. IMST is providing a great creative outlet for artists who may often be intimidated to enter the field when surrounded by artworks and ruins that are seen as incredible marks of human progress. However, contemporary Greece has been through a lot both internally and externally, and artists need a place to process these events and express themselves together. By working thematically rather than chronologically, IMST is able to provide a new type of museum for Greece, focusing on what visitors are feeling and experiencing right now, rather than the great history of the country. Even without a building, these curators were able to establish something meaningful for the residents of Athens and visitors from all over. Now that their space is defined, they have continued to flourish. Taking cues from other contemporary museums and offering services and learning opportunities that are unique to the Greek experience, IMST has created something beautiful. I hope that their work inspires other countries with similar rich histories to designate a space for contemporary artists to work, learn, and create.
If you're just joining us, we're talking with Daphne Vitali, Eleni Ganiti, Stamatis Kazakis, and Tina Pandey of the National Museum of Contemporary Art in Athens, EMPST. And also maybe we can also talk um, about this, uh, this, was this a very exhibition series. There was a different uh, creative uh, process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were three exhibitions, part of EMPST in the World series, mm-hmm. that was initiated by the the second director of EMS, Katerina Koskina. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, it was at Didoran. Uh, <coughs> actually, that was the second one. The first one was... Uh, in collaboration with MUCA. That was yes. in collaboration with Artifact. Oh, wonderful. And the third collaboration was <coughs> sorry, with the Galleria Nazionale d'Arte Moderna Unifarana in Rome. Mm-hmm. Okay, we talked about the first one. I don't know if you want to hear maybe about yes, the, the yeah. two. Do you want to start with that? Uh, um, yeah, this this was a. It's, it's true that this was a very creative uh, yeah. process because it uh, involved a dialogue of, of exhibitions. Mm-hmm. So there was a, of, of collections, yeah, a dialogue of collections. And Bart Bayer and uh, Jan de Vre, who were curators, mm-hmm. the director and a curator from Antwerp, became involved with us uh, on. Uh, specific works and artists and practices in from their collection to our collection and we tried to make um, groups of three mm-hmm. some th- th- there were many ideas coming up mm-hmm. the way we brought the works into dialogue like mm-hmm. new concepts or things that we didn't um, thought about before mm-hmm. so we structured this exhibition according to to these ideas that came so, up I mean, for example visual thinking Mm-hmm. or thinking visually. So we thought about Pia Davu, who's a Greek artist, uh, working in, with cybernetic ideas and the concepts of form. And we thought that from Anverb mm-hmm. was also trying to paint thoughts and dreams that were not quite easily put into words, mm-hmm. but the images were much better in dealing with this, with uh, Alettina Kakidze, who was her practice involved uh, more media, uh, yeah, reflections on media, and she, this was a work about a fake TV station. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of what was happening here. And uh, it's interesting because this exhibition was presented here and then it traveled to Antwerp mm-hmm. in a different version. So uh, and in different ordering? Uh, not a different ordering, but some uh, there were some additions uh, or uh, changes in in works mm-hmm. because this had to be put in a different space and over time. So it was a very uh, small space uh, over a very long period of time mm-hmm. that the works were changing. Whereas we had uh, all of our temporary exhibition spaces opening uh, to the public for the first time with this exhibition. So we had the 1,800 uh, square meters, I think, a very big exhibition. And uh, there it was a smaller, but it was changing every month. Mm-hmm. So it was a very interesting uh, idea. It's interesting as you bring up sequencing and really leading the eye that relates also to you know, editing and all this. And, and I do think that I, I, I hadn't always thought, because we didn't always know the names of curators and now they're becoming more prominent, but I do think it is an artistic activity. If it's related to like editors or like film editing as you direct the eye, we wouldn't experience it's a story a if you go to the museum. Exactly. It, it, is, it, is, it is a storytelling, but it's, uh, it's not uh, a fairy tale. Yes. <laughs> no, but it is. If you put, put things in a different sequence, it completely changes our experience mm-hmm. of it. And, yes. um, mm-hmm. and also, I think I'm, I'm going back to this notion of nomadic. I think this uh, nomadic structure 
uh, of the museum allow us to to think the collection not uh, as a very fixed uh, structure, mm-hmm. as a very fixed entity. So uh, I think it helped us a lot to consider the collection as a more discursive, let's say, platform with maybe different kind of possibilities. Maybe it was used in a way as a tank from which you could uh, draw and create different positions and see different correlations. Mm -hmm. So the the collection is a set of reference that can be reinterpreted uh, each time Mm -hmm. a selection of it uh, was presented. And that was the aim also of this exhibition series somehow. Yes, yes, but it's very close to how we worked uh, as curators uh, during this last decade. Mm-hmm. It defined a lot our curatorial work, which also it's. It also allows us to see, sorry, Daphne, uh, the, the the museum uh, as a constant flux and not as a uh, like a closed uh, or a very structured institution, because it changed internally very often or even the idea of the museum changes and it's contested uh, from within mm-hmm. by changing directors, by changing uh, collections, locations. by changing locations, by changing uh, politics, by changing uh, the way that the collection will be exhibited. So it's uh, this is also very interesting. But I think Daphne... No, no, I wanted to say uh, exactly that maybe the previous years uh, we were in different also institutions and venues not so much institutions, but also in, uh, in Athens, whether since we came here in 2015, because we couldn't open the museum yet due yeah. to all these financial bureaucratic issues, mm-hmm. the aim was to show the collection internationally mm-hmm. and, uh, and to have these exchanges with different institutions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so if the third, uh, the third and the third exhibition and collaboration within this Ems in the World was this collaboration was telling with the Galleria Nazionale d'Arte Moderna in Milano, which has a, a bit of a different uh, process. Mm-hmm. So instead of uh, having a very specific exhibition space, you know, that would have been given to us at the museum, mm-hmm. we decided to make a dialogue between the collections, so bring some works from the Ems collection in Rome, the Galleria Nazionale, and put them in dialogue with the permanent collection there. Mm-hmm. Uh, which again, it's a collection that it has been a new display in, uh, in the last two years with a, from the director of the museum, Christiana Kollu, that has been the director there since three years now. In, the, in this already thematic exhibition of the permanent collection of the Galleria Nazionale, Time, uh, time is Out of Joint, mm-hmm. we uh, created this exhibition that was called La Verità è sempre un'altra, The Truth is Always another one, or a different one, uh, a dialogue between two collections. So we're going to talk more about it, but okay, just briefly, so the Nucleus started as the idea to bring some artists that had lived in Rome in the late 50s and early 60s, mm-hmm. some important artists uh, like uh, yeah, Kessanlis, Cagnaris, Tsoklis, Raitis, and Kondos. Uh, and to bring them to, to see the work again in relation to, let's say, the people, that the artists that influenced them at the time, that already are uh, the Galleria Nazionale, Fontana, Burri, and other artists. So that was the first idea, and then we also brought some other works of 
Greek and international artists in dialogue with the, the rest of the collection. So again, there were different pairings, uh, uh, similar and different way of the previous exhibition here in Milan. So I think you know it's good because you are. It's it's also you're describing a, a learning process as well that you're you're open to to listening to their ways of curating and their collection. So what about your education initiatives as well? You worked at schools, yes. We have two exhibition education curators mm -hmm. uh, and one artist who collaborates with them mm -hmm. for workshops and. Mm -hmm. And throughout all these years, um, since the museum has its activity, they have been working uh, for organizing uh, children's programs and. But on, on top of on top of that, they are doing yeah, uh, like special yeah. outreach uh, programs mm -hmm. and involving immigration and psycho uh, artistic psychotherapy as well. Mm -hmm. It's a program of artistic psychotherapy. Uh, this in, is part of the. Of the the educational program that is called Ends Without Borders. Oh, so, right. yes. Yeah. Medicine, art medicine, really. Yes, <laughs> in a way. Yes, in a way, yes. Yeah. Well, it's interesting as you speak of these different groups, the kind of art that comes out of harsh experiences or you know, people who have not had a, such a stable uh, life situation. So, uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm interested. What did you find? came out of those workshops, the different initiatives. These uh, initiatives uh, also involved maybe Marina Tsek, who is the leader of these uh, initiatives and the education from the beginning of the museum, could talk about more, uh, talk more about this, but they also involve, most of them, an exhibition part within the museum. Yeah. Uh, this is a very important process for these different uh, groups of people who might be feel excluded from the museum, they mm -hmm. suddenly, you know, this is overturned. Mm -hmm. And uh, they work together with us sometimes. Mm -hmm. They do projects within the museum. They're using the museum's facilities and they exhibit the work sometimes within the museum. Mm -hmm. And they are long-term collaborations. For example, with the Cartoano, which is a rehabilitation group Yes, which is quite closed, uh, and it, it, it involves artistic programs, so it, it involves the teaching. Mm -hmm. So its participants are also doing a practice. Mm -hmm. They're doing, usually we work with a photography and video workshop. Yeah. So they do projects here and they together, sometimes with us, or sometimes in conjunction with an exhibition that's already been seen. This one, for example, involved uh, a parallel project. They also have, let's say, their own exhi um, exhibition space at the museum and also a working space. Mm -hmm. So there is a mezzanine floor between the ground floor and the first floor. Mm -hmm. Also there are their offices there, but there's also a, sp a place for, for workshops, but also for exhibiting. Mm -hmm. So we have used that space for mm -hmm. the presentations of what they have been doing. And you have done performances as well? I think uh, yes, there were. Yes, yeah. yes, uh, on different occasions, mm -hmm. either presentation, performance, or in the... In the context of exhibition. Yeah, yes. a few times in the context of exhibitions, within an exhibition. But we haven't collected yet any performance. <laughs> 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 we have an extensive video. Oh, yes, yes. 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, by Abramovitz, maybe Abramovitz, uh, mm-hmm. or Vito Conti's yeah, yeah. performance, but uh, not uh, but performance as a set of instructions uh, that can be... Yes, our yeah, Martin Segal work. Yes. And, uh, our ambition <laughs> is to have like a, a work that can be re-performed. Re- 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 uh, oh, okay. Uh, as, as yeah. think of one. Yeah. <laughs> also in the context of historical exhibition, we organize some reenactment of performances, historical performances. For example, in the context of Dimitri Salifino's retrospective, uh-huh. uh, we organize this pre-stage reenactment of uh, some of his pers- some of his performances in the 70s during the Greek dictatorship uh-huh. that he did during the So there were, there were like events that had a very limited audience um, and realized under weird circumstances and we tried to recreate that, not only the circumstances, but the work itself uh-huh. uh, in, within the museum with the aid of volunteers, uh, volunteer art students who were taking uh, the place of the participants of the original uh, event. Oh, it's interesting um, that you can bring people back in history with our sense, our memories are short, and that you can do that through performance or through art. And just going back to some of the things we're discussing, you talk about these workshops with refugees or rehabilitation and really art giving a life meaning or that it might feel hopeless or unstable. And so I'm wondering in your own lives, how did you come to art? What were your first exposures and why did you choose to uh, devote your life to it? I don't know. I didn't have any exposure to art when I was young. <laughs> Just the average, going to museum visits with the school, which was yeah. boring. Uh-huh. And that was what really made me want to work, not mainly with art, but with museums. Okay. Because I always... Make it not boring. <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting for me, but I was thinking, it's so boring, and why does everybody else doesn't care about going to the museums? And that was my initial, initial thinking. Uh-huh. And I, I initially wanted to be an archaeologist. That's uh-huh. why I studied you know, history and archaeology, which in Greece is the, the only uh, way to go to art history. Not anymore. Okay. Yes, okay. yes, in my, <laughs> in my years of study. Uh-huh. And uh, that's when I first uh, really came in contact with art and art history, and I decided that it's something that I would like to learn more about. That's how I ended up working with art and art history. Yeah. Because it's kind of limitless, you can always find something new. And, yeah. Yes, yeah. in a way, yes. I think it was the opposite. There was too much exposure. <laughs> you have artists in your family? Or yeah, in a way. Yeah. Uh, and so somehow I was very much exposed to history and history of art and archaeology, and uh, both in Greece and in Italy, because I'm half Italian. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, and I was somehow, it became, it came up kind of through, through this experience I had over the years. But I think for well, if personal, like when I realized I wanted to work with contemporary, is when I saw the Cornelis exhibition when I was 14 years old <laughs> in Athens. And then I realized that there's something interesting in this kind of which is not exactly what we have seen until now. Because, as we said before, there was not any museum of contemporary art in Athens. 
and in Greece in general. So the only the, the first museum was and uh, the same year the one in Thessaloniki, the Museum of Contemporary there, the State Museum. So yeah, <laughs> somehow it became again through the years. <laughs> Yes, I think for me it was a combination of different factors and parameters. Mm-hmm. It had to do also with the fam- my fam- the family environment, but also with a very stimulating school environment in the early years of my education. And from the beginning I have a very strong, how to say, a strong curiosity for art, literature, etc. So I think during, the, during my... <laughs> Uh, childhood, yes, it was a combination of factors that uh, somehow cultivated my desire to study art history, which at the time, as Eleni said, uh, didn't exist as a separate discipline in a Greek university. You had to study archaeology, history, and then to continue at a postgraduate level. Uh, Specialized, you want to Yes, to art history. Uh, Yes, let's not mention what was the status of our contemporary art. <laughs> it was not, not it didn't exist. It didn't exist, yes, mm-hmm. in the university. Yeah, we haven't sp- spoken about the long shadow really of ancient Greek yes. art. It's so rich, and how do you, I can imagine it's quite hard to come out from under it. You, I mean, how does is that have you felt it well? Uh, yes, I think it's something that we, that we have to deal with as students, as professionals, how archaeology dominates uh, everything and define uh, the dominant uh, discourse and, uh, and paradigm for us. It's true. For, it, for everyone <laughs> in the cultural field. Yes. yes. It's a, yes. An, an example is that in the public sector, as workers, we are uh, considered, we are treated as archaeologists. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. <laughs> it doesn't exist this specification for curators or art historians. Uh-huh. We are considered as archaeologists. So you have the new media archaeologist here. <laughs> 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 I have an example. I was reading about the life of an, of an artist, of a Greek-American artist called uh, Peter Vulkos. Have you heard oh, of him? Yes, He's very yeah, important yes. in, uh, in America. He's not very known in Greece. Uh-huh. Who didn't have any exposure to art until uh, after the GI Bill. He uh-huh. could study and he decided to study art. Uh-huh. And uh, he didn't really have any reason to do it, but he, it was free and he he thought he would do this mm-hmm. and he touched, uh, he didn't want to start ceramics mm-hmm. and when the, fir- the first time he touched clay was, uh, he was uh, so uh, amazed that he dedicated his life to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I also don't, didn't have any real exposure to art or art history. I think mm-hmm. I didn't really know what it was when I chose to study mm-hmm. in the university. I just yeah. took a module and then Within the year, I changed my course okay. to art history. <laughs> so, <laughs> so before you were doing something else, so I was uh, n- not really. <laughs> yeah, I was not really. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's interesting that you brought up literature because mm. you're noticing a number of people, or, or I noticed 
it's sad because part of this project is celebrating literature, it's also now celebrating art in different disciplines, but people who, who love literature, people who love novels particularly, or even poetry are like a dwindling number. And I, I noticed them displaced into being able to explore their love of writing and description mm. in the art world. Do you notice that? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think it's, it's, there's a very close yes, relation and connection. And, and I think now, because of the, let's say, limited opportunities to see contemporary exhibitions in the 80s and 90s in mm-hmm. Athens, mm-hmm. where I grew up, perhaps literature was... Um, it really helped me to discover, yes, uh, new ideas or concepts. For example, for me, the reading the Greek translation of Edison introduced to Pierre Caban, which was oh, yes. published at the time and was translated by Kirillo Salis, was a very definitive moment, for example. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was through this... Uh, through reading. So yes, through yeah. reading at the beginning, because it wasn't a very flourishing art scene. Yes. In the 90s, in Athens, you couldn't say that. There, it was the National Gallery mm-hmm. organizing some significant exhibition. But um, apart from that, it was a very limited exhibition activity. There was mm-hmm. art in exhibitions, contemporary art, like mm-hmm. also thematic sometimes. So they presented, I remember, in the 90s, Belgian artists. Mm-hmm. But, okay, but uh, as I said before, there was no museum, so no space where you could have today... Nothing like it. It was the gallery scene, mainly. Yeah, the gallery scene. And you had some good galleries, actually. Yeah, there was a boom in the late 90s. In the late 90s. Galleries. Uh, And with the foundation of Deste. Yeah, yes, and somehow it influenced the young generation at the time. Also that exhibition in 1998, a big presentation of the... That's the collection, that's the Joanna collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that's, in, that's interesting is new, was in part of the show. It had an impact, I think, mm-hmm. in the art scene. Well, it's important, as you say, you need spaces like, like yours, you, you need uh, museums to really give artists uh, or give the general public like permission to enter into these yes. dialogues when they don't feel they have a space. It really it puts a lid on their creativity because, you know, artists are just can be sensitive and can be it needs it needs acts of courage to go into the world. So it's wonderful what you've done here and what we're looking forward to uh, the opening in June and you're continuing I guess traveling traveling exhibitions but you're emst in the world. Emst at home and emst in the world. Well thank you for adding your voices to the creative process for illuminating artistic practice and for um, inspiring the next generation of Greek and international artists. Thanks thank so you. much. Thank you. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Pearson Brown. Digital Media Coordinator is Yu Young Lee. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved in our exhibitions, podcast, or submit your creative works, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info.